by the way, if you, if you don't know me, if I haven't met you yet, I'm Aaron Poor. I'm the associate pastor here at Journey Church. Pastor Sean, our lead pastor, asked me to speak this weekend. And we are in the 100-day dare. And as you guys, most, most of you guys know, uh, going through the 100-day dare means that this message series is going to be dealing with whatever we're coming up on in our reading plan this, this coming week. And this coming week, there's a lot of different things we're going to be reading through the Bible together. And one of those things uh, is what we're going to dive into today. Uh, but it's, 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 such a great, uh, it's such a great way to go through the Bible together. It's been so, it's really just been fun to be able to talk to my family and other people about, you know, what we're reading this week. Just doing it together is, is incredible. But we do have a place in the Bible where we're going to focus, and um, let me just start with the end of our text, and then we'll go back and read the whole thing. The last verse of what we're going to be reading is this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Encouragement. Paul is giving the church in Thessalonica some good news. So let me ask you this. Does anybody in here need or want some good news? Okay, I got my hand up. So we've got some good news today. And I, I, I want to say, um, well, no, I don't want to say that. You get to see some live editing of my brain working here. Um, I, I do want to say this, that we're going to look at something here. I want to just kind of lay a foundation and set the stage. We're going to look at something here that is so important and so critical that it really is part of the core and the center of what we build our life around. And I know, you know, the answer to that is, well, Jesus. But this is something specific that we're going to be looking at that should affect the way we think and the way we live, and it should inform the decisions we make, and it, 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 should, it should affect our perspective on life, and it should affect the way we look at people. It, it should affect everything. But it's one of those things that, if we're not careful we have a tendency to just kind of agree with it and then file it away. But we're going to see today that it's, that's not the way to handle it. So anyway, I just want to kind of lay a foundation here. Now let's, let's, let's plug on here. So 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to back up to verse 13. Okay, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep uh, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, 
and the sound of the trumpet of God. Let me pause right there. You realize that is going to happen. That right there is going to happen. And when it happens, everything's going to change. It is. What we experience as normal everyday life right now, and I realize in the last two years, the definition of normal everyday life has been going through a transformation. But even even with that being said, you realize this day is coming. And today we are one one day closer to that day than we were yesterday. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Everybody say, Maranatha. It kind of rolls off your tongue. Say it one more time, Maranatha. It's an Aramaic expression that believers used as kind of an invocation. And depending on the way you pronounced it, uh, it could mean our Lord has come or uh, it could mean our Lord is coming, depending on the way you pronounced it. But we see this expression um, in 1 Corinthians 16, 22. And then we see kind of the Greek version of it again at the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, 20. This, that's what this verse says. It says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. And then we see it. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming. Can I get more than one amen for that? Jesus is coming. Everybody say it again. Say, Maranatha. Everybody say, come Lord, Jesus. come, Lord Jesus. Believers would say this to each other in the early church. They would, almost as a greeting. And this word is really, especially when you look at the two different ways that it could be used, this word is really kind of the foundation of our faith. Jesus has come. Jesus is coming. That's kind of the bedrock of our faith, Maranatha. And so when I was a kid growing up in churches a lot like this church, except it was the 70s and the 80s. So just put mullets on everybody and parachute pants and leg warmers and stuff, and it's pretty much like during, no. No, but when I was a kid growing up in churches like this, uh, this was something that was very common. This, this topic, this focus, uh, this emphasis, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's coming back. He's returning. Jesus will be right back. He's coming back soon. It was in our songs. It was in the songs we sang. It was in the songs we listened to. It was, it was in, the, it was in the, the, the music that we listened to. It was in the books that we read. It was in the messages at church. It was everywhere. It was in the conversations that people were having in their homes throughout the week. Jesus is coming. He's coming back. He's coming back soon. And, you know, I realize that I have a, almost a child's perspective on that because 
I was a kid during that time, but it made an impact on me. And what I remember is especially in the, what for me would be the early days, there was just a pure excitement and a pure desire to see Jesus. Very simple, very simple. It wasn't complicated. There weren't a million books. Of course, there were no podcasts. You know, there weren't a thousand different teachings on it. They were coming, but they weren't quite there yet. And there was just a pure desire to see Jesus. And without taking a lot of time to give you a history lesson or my perspective on history, uh, what I saw and observed happen was that over time, uh, people started to get almost obsessed with the details, almost obsessed with predicting the wins and the where and what it was going to look like and who was going to be involved. And, and, and you started seeing more and more books and more, and you started seeing a shift away. And some of you may have had a different perspective on this than me, but I'm just sharing with you what I saw and what I observed. But there began to be a shift away from just a pure desire to see Jesus into almost more of an apocalyptic, how do we prepare for bad times and what are we looking for and what does the moon look like today and what is this dictator in this country doing and how does that line up with it? And we started to shift into a different focus. We're still looking for Jesus to return, but it was kind of the, the attitude behind that looking changed. And so Jesus says that we can discern the season of his return. He says that. He, can, he says we can discern the times and the seasons. He also says, though, that we cannot discern the day or the hour. So Mark 13, 32 says this, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Matthew 25, 13 says, Watch therefore... For you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, uh, backing up to Mark 13, 32, we know that Jesus told us that no one knows, not the angels in heaven, not even the sun. But I think maybe there was this one moment in all of Scripture where Jesus might have missed something. Go ahead and put that picture up. There you go. Because this park bench right here says, save the date, return of Christ, May 21st, 2011. WeCanKnow.com. So Jesus may not know, but WeCanKnow.com somehow figured this out. Uh, I, I put that picture up as an example of a lot of things that began to come out. And I, I want to point some of this out because I think that because of so much uh, emphasis on details and specifics, it kind of caused many people to become jaded and you have predictions of dates and they come and they go and people gradually kind of cool off to the, the whole idea that Jesus is returning because of things like this. Some of you might remember uh, <laughs> this author that wrote a now famous series of books about the rapture. And when I say the rapture, I'm talking about 
what we just read in 1 Thessalonians, there's a word there that can be translated as rapture where we are caught up to meet Jesus. And so the first book that came out that I'm aware of is 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. So very definitive, very certain. Um, of course, we're all still here. And, but at some point that year, uh, he backed off just a little bit, and another pamphlet came out. Go ahead and put the next one up. 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Could Be, Could Be in 1988. And uh, then so this same guy um, came out with, in 89, when we were all still here in 89, another book came out, The Final Shout, Rapture Report, 1989 or 1990 or 1991, and the dates kind of disappear off into the distance. (laughs) Now listen, I I have not, just full disclosure, I've not read those books. I kind of feel like I don't need to. So I'm not, this isn't like a book review or anything like that. And then finally, somebody came out with this book right here. 99 Reasons Why No One Knows When Christ Will Return. (laughs) And so some of you may have been privileged enough uh, to see the movie back in the day, Thief in the Night. How many has seen that movie? Okay, I almost played the trailer for it, because, but I, somehow I always end up on family weekend, you know, and uh, it, it, there's just, Thief in the Night was kind of like a low-budget horror film for 70s Christian kids, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but it was all about, you know, I mean, it didn't, it, it made you afraid of the return of Jesus more than longing for the return of Jesus, and, uh, you know, you better get ready, you know. And so, but listen, even with all of that hype and silliness, uh, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. He's, that's, that has not changed. And so one of the things that my hope for today is that we can return to a godly longing for that without being affected or jaded by all of that stuff. 2 Timothy 4.8 says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. To all who have loved his his appearing. You know, this is one of the most central themes in the Bible. It really is. And this last week I was reading an article and I was going to kind of reference it and I just decided to just put this excerpt of this article up and read it to you word for word. Uh, David Jeremiah wrote this article. It says, people are often surprised to learn that references to the second coming outnumber references to the first coming by a factor of eight to one. Scholars have identified 1,845 different biblical references to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Christ's return is emphasized in no less than 17 books, and the New Testament authors speak of it in 23 of 27 books. The New Testament mentions his return in seven out of every 10 chapters. In other words, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament proclaims 
that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. The Lord himself referred to the second coming 21 times. The prominence of Christ's return in Scripture is an indication that this event is important to God, and as a result, it should be important to us. So, having this knowledge that the king is returning, how should we live? How should we live? How should this affect the way that we live? And I don't want to give you a 10-step process. I don't want to roll a whiteboard out here and fill it up with a bunch of stuff. I want to give you two simple approaches, two simple ways of thinking and living that you can walk out of here with and I believe appropriately respond to this truth. Jesus is coming back. And uh, really, these two things are kind of two different sides of, of a balance. We talk a lot of times, not just in this area, but in other areas too. We talk in other times how you can walk down the center of a narrow path and there may be a ditch on this side and a ditch on that side, and you have to be careful that you don't fall into either one. And so to, to respond to this truth that Jesus is coming back, I believe there are two things we have to do. And I'm just going to tell you both of them right now, and then we'll take a look. The first thing is, we live to reveal the kingdom of God. We live to reveal the kingdom of God. And the second thing that we have to do, and I'm, I'm messing up uh, Daniel back there on the computer. Sorry, Daniel. Uh, the second thing that we, we have to do is we look for the return of the king. Oh, he's on top of it. Good job. Um, we live to reveal the kingdom of God, and we look for the return of the king. I want to go ahead and give you both of those at the same time to show you that there is a balance because you can, you can make the mistake of going all in on one and then neglecting the other or vice versa. And either way uh, is a problem. But let's take a look at that. So, number one, Jesus is coming back. What do we do? We live to reveal the kingdom of God. So Jesus talks about this in Luke 19. It's kind of an interesting story. And uh, let me start reading it to you in verse 11. He says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, Therefore a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So he's talking about himself right there. A, a nobleman going into a far country, receive a kingdom and then come back. Calling ten of his servants, that would be believers, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens, that would be unbelievers, hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. There is an expectation that we will be taking ground for the kingdom of God while we wait for Jesus to return. There's an expectation of that. 
there's a there's a responsibility upon us to be taking ground for the kingdom of God while we wait for his return. Um, this is the business we're supposed to be doing until he comes. And this point is so critically, crazy important that I really wish that I had the preaching skills of somebody like a Billy Graham or somebody like that. But I don't. But I do have the next best thing. And if you've ever been to Journey Church, you know what's coming. So direct your attention to the script. The Bible says that this hope of his coming should cause us to watch. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. The Bible indicates that to us that know him, it should purify us. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. It should make us united as Christians and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. It should cause us to evangelize. Occupy till I come. Occupy with loving your neighbor. Occupy. Don't sit down and say, the Lord's coming. I'm just going to sit here and wait for his coming. No. That's sin against God. That's displeasing to God. Go back to your school. Go back to your home. Go back to your church. Go back to your social obligations. And work as you've never worked. Occupy till I come. Go down among the people. Help the poor. Love your neighbor, no matter what race he may be. Give food for the hunger. Get involved in the world in which we're living as a light and a shining testimony for Christ. Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. Live for him. And this burning hope within you should make you live more intensely for him than ever before. With far deeper commitment to him than ever before. Amen. So he's talking about the same thing that we just read. But the King James Version of the Bible says, occupy until I come instead of do business until I come. So if we're supposed to occupy until he comes, that's an interesting way of looking at that because, in other words, demonstrating the good news of the gospel in your words and your actions becomes your occupation. It's your job. You know, Pastor Sean just dealt with this here just recently, that the job of ministering to the world is not the job only of preachers and missionaries. It's the job of the body of Christ. You know, church is not just a place of ministry. Church is a place of equipping. The whole idea is that you come in here, you get equipped and prepared, you go out for the next seven days, and you tell the world about Jesus, your world, you know, your world, the people you know that I don't know. And then you come back, we get back together again, and and we repeat the process. But it is our occupation. It's our calling. We're all I stand by this statement 100%. We are all called to the ministry. All of us are. 
We're all missionaries. Now, I'm not, uh, and I'm not taking anything away from people that have sold everything and moved to the other side of the world uh, because that's amazing. But we are, by definition, we are all missionaries to this world. We're ambassadors. Uh, in fact, God wants as many people as possible to hear this good news before he returns. And so you might say yourself or hear somebody saying, why, why is it taking so long? How much longer, Lord? How, why are you waiting to return? Why didn't Jesus already come back? It's not because God is slow to return. It's because, it's because he's patient because he doesn't want anybody to perish. It's because of love. It's because of mercy. For, uh, 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I want to say this right now. You kind of have to throw out any doctrine or teaching that implies that God sits down and decides who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. You make it, you don't make it. Because very clearly right here, it says that he's not wishing that any should perish. And so this should affect the way we think about the return of Jesus. And when it comes to the return of Jesus, the second coming, there can be a tendency or a temptation to get drawn into, for lack of a better term, what I might call modern-day teachings that lean too heavily on end-time prophecy, apocalypse, Bible codes, charts, graphs. None of that is bad, and some of it may be very valid. But what the point that I'm trying to make is there's a tendency to lean too heavily on this guy's book or that guy's podcast or this guy's teaching. And what we have to constantly do is we have to constantly stay grounded in what the Word of God says and live our life according to that. All of these things can be helpful, but we can't base our faith on that. And so here's what we've got to do. We have to be careful of two things when it comes to all of this stuff that I'm talking about here. Uh, number one, you have to be careful that you not get so consumed with teachings on the end times and prophetic charts and Bible codes and, and, and all of that, that you stop serving, witnessing, and giving and being an ambassador of Jesus to the world. In other words, you don't want to switch into the role of becoming an academic expert on knowledge about the return of Jesus, where you just sit and read books and watch videos. That's, like, that's why I played that Billy Graham video. That's not what God is looking for. And so if we do that, we actually are missing the point of doing what God's called us to do that actually hastens or speeds up the return of Jesus. And that's actually a thing. We're going to look at that here in a second. The other thing you have to be careful about, you have to watch out for, is that you don't become so focused on the return of Jesus that you become lethargic and complacent 
and you just simply uh, um, adopt a posture of just kind of waiting for your ticket to be punched, right? Because here's the, here's the problem with that. Number one, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. We have a very clear job to do. But number two, the more you go into that way of thinking, the more it begins to, and I'm going to use a strong word here, the more it begins to corrupt your view of the world around you and your response to it, your response to it. So the more that you begin to assume that mindset of Jesus rescue me, Jesus come quickly, this is, we're in, this is a mess, Jesus come, come get us, then the, you, you assume the posture of someone who needs to be rescued instead of what the Bible says that you and I are supposed to be in the power and the name and the authority of Jesus rescuing by bringing the gospel to a lost world. So let me put it this way and try to simplify this a little bit. Healthy thinking on the return of Jesus will inspire you to be active and serve God. Now, again, don't forget, I am saying we need to be thinking about the return of Jesus. We need to be focusing even on it. But healthy thinking about the return of Jesus will inspire you to be active and serve God. Unhealthy thinking on the return of Jesus will cause you to be passive and wait to be rescued. We're not here to be rescued. We're here to, in the authority and power of the name of Jesus, rescue a lost world. So I I mentioned just a second ago that there are... There's something that we can do that actually affects the timing. Now listen to what it says in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Do you see an order there? Do you see a timeline, a sequence of events This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. There's still parts of the world that have not heard the gospel. Even in this day and age, I have a friend who's getting ready to take the gospel message into a massively populated area, and I can't share any details with that about that because this is a really serious thing that he's about to do, and it's somewhat dangerous. But he's taking the gospel, along with other people, into a part of the world that has not had the gospel presented. This is something that happens, and then the end will come. Second uh, Peter 3.12 says this, As you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. Speed, it's coming. Hasten, it's coming. How do you do that? By proclaiming the gospel to the whole world, to every nation. Who does the proclaiming? We do. So knowing that he's coming back, we do business or we occupy until he comes. That's our role. That's our job. And that looks different from person to person, right? Not everybody here is a preacher or an evangelist or a missionary, and the way that God uses you to do his kingdom business will will impact your world 
And so it'll look different from person to person, but that's what we're doing. Um, We demonstrate God's love and his power, and we give people a taste of the kingdom of God and his goodness. That's what we do. So knowing that Jesus is returning, what do we do? We do business until he comes. And I told you there were two parts of this. So we do business until he comes, and at the same time, we look for the return of the king. So there's a balance there. There's a balance. There's a a focus on serving, on witnessing, on demonstrating the kingdom of God, revealing the love of God to people. And there's also a longing in our heart to see Jesus come. That should be present in us. That should be with us every day. So there's a balance there. We look for the return of the king. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus is going to appear a second time. For who? For those who are eagerly waiting for him. So let's keep on reading in 1 Thessalonians. We, we kind of finished up chapter 4. Let's look at the beginning of chapter 5. Because we talked about how Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. But Jesus doesn't just talk about the day or the hour. Jesus also talks about times and seasons. And there's a, there's a phrase that people use a lot talking about how Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. We're getting ready to read that. But sometimes that is applied across the board to everybody. And uh, uh, Paul here deals more specifically with that. So chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Now why is that? Is it because it's a secret? Is it because we're not supposed to know about the times and seasons? That's not what he's saying. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. If you are, as Paul describes, fully aware that this is how it's going to go down, this is, that this is the way it's going to happen for people who are not fully aware, then this day will not come upon you like a thief. You, in other words, you can be aware of the times and the seasons that you're in. You're not going to know the day or the hour. Uh, the, the park bench is not going to save you there. It wasn't in 2011. Uh, but you can be aware of the times and the seasons. Uh, 1 Peter 1.13 says this. I, I want to give you a lot of scripture today because I really don't want this to be, you know, uh, Aaron's opinion on this topic. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, that's something we're supposed to do, and being sober-minded, that's something we're supposed to do, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
It's dealing here with intentional things that we're supposed to be doing with our thinking. Set your minds. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope. So let me try to give you an example of, of what this looks like. You guys are aware of like the two-minute warning, like in a football game, right? You get into the last part of the game. There's a, there's a period of time where you, you are aware. If you're, if, you're, if you're a player or if you're a coach, you're aware the clock is ticking now. We're down into the last two minutes. And you may have been playing hard the whole time. But when you're in that last two minutes, your focus and your intensity ratchets up. And you give it whatever you can give. Uh, we should be living our lives, getting married, raising kids, uh, going to church, working, playing, all the while being aware that Jesus is coming soon. There's a way to do both. We don't, it's not like we have to pick between one or the other. It's not like your choice is, well, I can either be a regular guy uh, with a family doing my thing, or I have to be a super radical end times prophecy guy. It's not like you've got choice A or B. You can actually live a life, get married, have kids, be a, be a godly person, and have a longing heart desiring to see the return of Jesus. Jesus used the analogy of labor pains. Um, now, let me just tell you, I, we've got five kids, and I know a lot about labor pains. I'm, I joke, I joke, ladies, don't get mad at me. But we, we, we do, we have five kids, four pregnancies, because the last two were twins, so we got a two-for-one special there. But I do know this from observation. Uh, when, when you know a baby is coming, when there's a pregnancy, you have this period of time where you know that a child is going to arrive. And when, you know, that test comes back positive and, you oh, there was going to be, a, we're going to have a baby, you, you continue to live your life, you know. Uh, when, we, when we were having Kelsey, uh, Sarah, she still worked at her job for a while and, and we continued to live our life. We knew that a baby was coming and we were excited about it, but we continued our life. And, but when the labor pains started, you knew, now the baby still wasn't there. The baby still had not arrived. The baby had not come yet. But when the labor pain started, you knew things are getting serious. Things are getting serious, you know. We know that, the, that a baby will be coming soon. And so at, at, at the beginning of labor pains, you kind of shift gears a little bit. And maybe, you know, going over to your friend's house to play games isn't quite the priority it was before. And you just kind of shift into a different mode. Jesus used this analogy in Matthew 24, 6 through 8. And this should be encouraging. Listen to the words of Jesus. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. We hear that. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. 
Nation will rise against nation. That's ethnic group against ethnic group. Kingdom will rise against kingdom. That's government against government. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of labor pains, birth pains. And so we don't know the day Jesus will return. It could be next week. It could be next month. It could be next year. It could be beyond that. And I know depending on what you read and watch, uh, there are people that are much more specific than that. But I do believe that we can look and be aware and use the Bible as our guide and be aware that we are in a unique time and that Jesus is coming soon. And that should excite us. If you're not, and I say this with the utmost love and compassion, but if you're not excited about the return of Jesus, that should be a check engine light for you. You know what I mean? When you're driving down the road and the check engine light comes on, it doesn't mean that your car is going to explode the next second. It means that you need to check out what's going on and figure out why that light came on. If you're not excited and longing for your Savior to return and bring the fulfillment of his kingdom to this world and establish his justice and and fulfill that verse that says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. If you're not excited about that, take that as a check engine light and go and pray and ask God, what should I be doing? Let me have the band come back up. As we close out, I want to very, very, very briefly address one last thing. Maybe someone might ask me, so Aaron, are you pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib or what about the tribulation and, 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 tell, and when is the rapture going to happen? Look, if you're not familiar with all these terms, they refer to uh, different verses in the Bible and and interpretations of verses that talk about a seven-year time of tribulation and Jesus coming and taking the church away and some people seeing that happening before that seven-year time, sometimes in the middle, some people at the end. And this is a source of great debate and has been going on for a long time. And I'm not going to, I do have an opinion about that, but I'm not going to get into that Uh, Instead, I want to give you a very plain and simple stance that you can take on all of that. And there's no, you don't have to go buy a book, you don't have to watch a series of YouTube videos, and you don't need a whiteboard. It's a very simple stance. Be ready. Be ready. If Jesus comes back next week, Be ready. If Jesus comes back after seven years of horrible things happening, be ready. Does the 
timing of that event affect whether or not you should be ready? Be ready. Look, here's what Jesus says. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. Be ready by doing the business of the kingdom of God. And be ready by watching and anticipating his return. Let me ask you all to stand up, and I'm going to read one last scripture. And this is, this is like a prophetic call. When I read this, I want you to receive it as God's word speaking to you. Because that's, that is what it is, but I want you to intentionally receive it this way. Romans 13, 11 through 12, out of the Amplified Version, it says, Do this knowing that it is a critical time. It is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep of spiritual complacency. For our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed in Christ. The night, this present evil age, is almost gone. And the day of Christ's return is almost here. So let us fling away the works of darkness and put on the full armor of light. Let me pray for you guys right now. We're going to worship one more time. Father, whether we have known this for a long time or whether it has just been awakened in us this morning, we long for the return of Jesus. We long for that day. We look forward to that day. There's our heart, our new created heart that you made inside of us looks with anticipation to see our Savior coming. It's part of who we are. It's part of what we do. But Lord God, we also want to share your heart for this world, and we, want, we don't want anyone to perish. And so God, right now, we just commit ourselves, Lord, to do business until you come. We commit ourselves, Lord God, to occupy until you come. But we also look for your returning, Lord. Because, Lord, we know how awesome you are. We know, we know of your holiness, your glory, your majesty, your power. And, Lord, we want this world to see it. And so, God, I pray that, that this morning, Lord, you would just open our hearts even wider to, to understand your holiness. How great you are, Lord God. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So God, we worship you and we honor you and we bless your name.